The Beaux-Arts Photography Podcast with Alan and Natalie Brio. So today we're going to talk about part two of the podcast story. Yesterday we ended on number 40, Prospering During the Recession. And we had a discussion on, uh, we were talking about the year 2008. 41 and 42 is Practicing Photography as an Art Form which is different from what we talked about earlier. We talked about what it is to be an artist. But number 41 and 42 is about practicing photography as an art form. Yeah, that was interesting. And that was one of the first podcasts that we did on the subject of photography as art, really. And maybe we should listen to a little bit of that. So let's see. This is number 42, photography as art. Let's see what we have. In particular, they don't have an emotional content to their work. They are just taking photographs of houses for sale. Mm -hmm. And to, for that person to say it's fine art would be preposterous. I mean, it'd be a joke. Well, you know? even travel photography. Right. Travel photography, forensics, scientific photography, any form of documentation. There's millions of views of photography that are non-artistically oriented. That is, they are not even purely technical. They are just documenting. You know, they don't even have to have good technique. If you photograph a house for sale and it's slightly overexposed, may not be totally sharp, who cares? The photograph is going to be very small on the web. You're going to see, what, a 500 pixel wide JPEG. <laughs> you don't have to have technical <laughs> perfection. Well, I remember when we were looking for a realtor, he was really excited and said, well, I can take photos of your house and use HDR. And I was like, no, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. I do not want you to do HDR images on my house when you put it up for sale. <laughs> Beware of realtors that use HDR. Yeah, because, you know, it's going to look very artsy, but that's not the idea. We are no. not selling fine art, we are selling a house. And so if the realtor wants to get to... So that was really interesting and fun, you know. Yeah. But what we are talking about is the different users of photography, something that confuses a lot of people. They're like, I have a camera. Well, great. You know, I have a knife. You know, I could do all sorts of things. I could cut a steak. I could... Uh, use it to whittle, create uh, sculptures with wood. I could use it to cut some ropes. I mean, I could use it to butcher a sheep. It's not the tool that defines the function, it's you. And right. that's what we are talking about. And that fine art is really a very, very specific function of photography, a very, very specific field of endeavor of photography, and not one that many people engage in. Right. And uh, obviously it has its own set of requirements, and when it comes to selling, it has its own set of selling techniques. You, know? <laughs> yeah. you don't sell a fine art photograph the same way you would sell a portrait, for example, or a wedding photo. You know, a wedding photo is something that people need to some extent, but fine art is not something that people need, it's something that people want, and uh, you have to address it like that. And so after this episode, what we had was two interviews called the Smiths interview. They are in two parts, part one and two, and those were done by Peter Urban at our house. Do you remember these? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. He and his wife were down here for a couple of days. I remember they had excellent audio and video, and we did it in the inner courtyard. And yeah, Christy. That's yes, uh, Christy. Christy and Peter. Urban. Yeah. They live in Canada, right? Yes, they do. Very and nice couple. We have something in common with Peter, and that is, you know, besides photography, and that is that we are both interested in Formula One. Oh, yes. Because yes. Peter <laughs> used to actually compete in, uh, not Formula One, but in the, the younger formulas, like Formula Ford or Formula V or 
you know, all of his karting and he raced with Michael Schumacher. Yeah, I remember him yeah, telling stories about Michael yeah. Schumacher. Yeah. Yes. And I, I forgot what he said about Michael, but he was very competitive and uh, he had a lot of things to say, good things, you know. Yeah, they were really good things. Yeah. I can't remember everything that he said in regards to his racing at the time, no. but it, was, it had something to do with that. Right, right. He said that Michael had sponsors very early on, and, and he didn't. And obviously that was one of the reasons why he quit, because uh, it's very expensive, and he couldn't pay for it. But anyway, we have that in common besides photography, and we'll obviously uh, continue talking about that with Peter whenever we talk. The next podcast after that was called The Difficulty of Judging the Arts, and it has a lot to do with the fact that when you engage in an art competition, it's a competition if you want, but it definitely is not just a competition because obviously art is not exactly like Formula One racing. You don't have a finish line, you don't have a stopwatch, you don't have any way of knowing who comes first and who comes second, except that you like this better than that, right? Right. It's and really what is the criteria exactly. that they're judging on? And, you know, is it, you know, and everybody has their own interpretation of whatever the criteria is. Well, we can have rules, you know, you, mm -hmm. you have to have a photo of this subject in that side, you know, this and that and the other. But eventually it's very difficult to decide who is first and who is second in an impartial manner. I don't think there is a way to do it. It's probably very useful for people that are beginning or people that seek some reward out of photography in the sense of having a medal or a certificate or a diploma or some sort of uh, award. But I think that as an chief photographer, it becomes less and less meaningful because I always give the example to people that want to defend art competition at operational level. And the example is... You have Monet, you have Picasso, you have uh, Van Gogh, and all enter their work in a competition for painting, and the judge decide on who's the winner. Right. right? And right. who are they going to pick? You know, well, they are going to pick whoever they like the best. You know, right. they like Picasso, that's the winner. They like Van Gogh, that's the winner. They like Monet, that's the winner. You know, but is there one better than another? No. And how do you define who's better? Well, it's not like Michael Schumacher can beat, you know, Jensen Button or Coulthard or some other Formula One racer, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there is no finish line, there is no right. timing, right. there is no impartial way of defining who is the winner and who is the loser, and so eventually it's left to personal opinion. Right. And that's really what we talked about in this podcast. Yeah, I remember, uh, I think I only did judging once for the school district, and I found it to be very frustrating. Yeah. You know, and towards the end. I just let them decide who the winners were because right. I just got tired of fighting with them about it. I just you uh, were fighting with the other teachers, or? yeah, because we didn't agree. Yeah, well, sure. you know what I mean for first and second right. and third place, mm -hmm. and so you know towards the end I was just getting so exhausted. I just let them, you know, whatever. I, I remember talking about it with you. Yeah, and yeah. I never did it after that. And then I the just, parents um, also are not necessarily happy that their child did not win or. Yeah. Well, and it's very hard to judge because I was certified K through 12 mm -hmm. and I was teaching seventh and eighth grade art, but then they wanted me to judge like elementary school mm -hmm. art or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? So they have the elementary school teacher or they may have me or they may have, you mm -hmm. know, somebody else yeah. from. And so it's very different. 
It's very difficult to justify who you pick as a winner. You know, I like it better. It's better than this. Well, the other person can say just the same. Right, right. I personally refuse to be a judge. I mean, forget it. Yeah. You know, I was asked many times, I have nothing against your contest. It is what it is. You do whatever you want, but I'm not going to be a judge. Right. Because what if we have Monet, Picasso and Van Gogh, right? (laughs) Right. You know, sorry, I'm not going to be messing up with that. Yes. And people are like, well, we're not going to have those. I understand. You know, we're not going to have those. We're going to have younger beginning photographers. But isn't the concept the same? You know, yes. I mean, at one point, Picasso started, right? <laughs> you <know>? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at one right. point, Monet started. At one point, Van Gogh started. So you have now the young Van Gogh, Monet and Picassos and pick one, right? Right. Uh, you know, what do you really judge? I mean, definitely yes. not talent because we all have it. Right. So you judge what, you know, achievement? Well, I mean, at this point, this guy is ahead of the next. I mean, it's like the 24th of Le Mans judge at hour nine, at the ninth hour of a 24-hour race. That doesn't mean a thing. Right. Right? I mean, this year, Le Mans was basically won, you know, again, at the very, very end of the race. And last year, Le Mans was won on the last lap. And one lap is less than four minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So the winner of last year's race was defined within the last four minutes. This year, the winner was defined within the last few laps. Wow. To decide on the winner at hour nine or 12 hours or 15th hour or even the 23rd hour is totally meaningless. Right. And so if you judge a contest and you say, well, okay, I understand they are not masters, they are younger, they just started. So that makes it okay to have a first place, a second place. I don't agree. Because talent is either there or not. So what you're judging is at this point, this guy is a little bit more ahead of the other. Right. That's meaningless. That doesn't mean a thing as to what's going to happen 10, 20 years down the road. Right. Right. I I have enormous problems with contests. And what I tell people is always the same. And it's this. If you want to engage in a competitive endeavor, which is completely understanding. I mean, human beings are competitive by nature. Here's an idea. 100 meter dash. If you're not into speed running, the 1K, right. <laughs> you know, right. if that doesn't work, the long jump or the high jump or throw some weight or boxing. I mean, you know, in boxing, it's pretty clear who wins and who loses when there's a knockout. I'm the winner. Why? Because the guy can't even get up and say mama, right? You know, car racing is a good way of knowing who's winning and losing. I mean, any sport, right? You right. Know? I agree. If you're not into a physical thing, Play chess, <laughs> right? There's going to be a winner and a loser. And if chess is too difficult for you, play checkers, right? It doesn't matter. Even bridge, even poker. You don't have to be physically involved. That's what I'm saying. But any sort of activity that has a clear way of defining the winner and the loser is a competitive activity that I think is fair. Right? Mm-hmm. But art as a competitive activity, give me a break. You know, That's not the idea. Right. You know? right. And what happens, I think, and that's why I'm adamant about contest being somewhat questionable is that people enter a contest not being fully prepared or not having work that the judges like they don't win they may be ranked you know very far down the list and they get discouraged and they stop and they don't continue their photography all of that because of their contest right and if they hadn't entered that contest, they would have continued and probably get to be very good. Yes. And so, you know, it can have positive effects and it can have negative effects, but it can also reward people to the point where on the side of the winner, reward the winner and make them feel that they're better than they really are. I mean, I remember doing a print review, you know, when we went to Las Vegas to see that student and he brought out 
as we started the review, this is a one-day, you know, consulting. Right, right? an all-day session. All-day consulting. He brought out immediately after we said hi and we had a little bit of a time to get acquainted, a set of prints. And he didn't say anything, so I'm looking at the prints, I flip them on the back, and I'm like, oh, these all won awards at Camera Club. And he says, yes, you know, a lot of them won first place, second place, you know. The judges thought very highly of them. And I looked at them, and, you know, I, I took my time. And then I looked at him and I said, you know, I have a question. Do you want me to be honest or do you want me to lie to you? I mean, do you want to know the truth or do you want me to lie to you? You're paying me, so, you know, whatever you like, right? Some people want compliments. Some of them want a honest opinion. He says, oh, I want your honest opinion. I say, well, they have a lot of problems. Right. <laughs> I'm not saying they are good or bad. That's not how I evaluate prints. But what I'm saying is that they have a lot of problems. And if you want, during today's consulting, we can go over this problem and fix them. And he said, well, that's certainly what I want, but I don't understand why I want awards if you have so many problems. Yes. And I said, well, you, would you like to know why you want an award? You know, again, you know, you're paying me, you decide. If you want to hear it, I'll tell you. And if you don't want to hear it, we'll just move on. He says, no, I want to know. I said, well, you were the best of the worst. <laughs> In other words, the people that lost had more problems than you. Right. Their prints had more problems than your prints. And, you know, he was not necessarily very happy to hear all of that, but that's the truth. And that's why I asked him, I said, do you want the truth or do you want me to just say very nice, thank you for sharing, you know? Because what happened is if you have a contest with 20 people and they all have friends that have problems i mean his friends had blown highlights very dark shadows they were sort of dark all over the color was not saturated the shadows were not open i mean you know there were lots of beginning problems basically you know but you know your friends have less problems than all the others they stand out to be the best of the group right? right but they are really the best of the worst i mean the others lose not because you're better than them but because they are not as good as you you know right. and that doesn't mean you're very good and so that's why contest can be a real problem. Obviously, if you have a national contest with very, very high-end photography, the winner is going to have high-end photography. Right. But if you have a local contest with social photographers that don't have very good work, you might think you're better than you really are. Yeah, I agree. And I think that he was a little disappointed, but hey, I asked him, I said, you're paying me, do you want the truth or not? You know? Yeah. <laughs> you no, know? I agree. And if you don't want the truth, hey, listen, I completely understand, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So contests can have good and bad. And that's sort of the things that we talked about in this podcast. You know, that's uh, an important subject, I think. We had a podcast about the iPad, which actually dates uh, this podcast very well because the iPad, that was when it was first introduced. Oh, that was fun. Yeah. It was fun. And maybe we want to listen to that because I don't remember what we said. So listen to the iPad first impression podcast just to see. It's really the table of elements with examples. Right? That is, you're not just looking at the elements, you're also looking at, you know, what you can do with the elements, you know, the, uh, the examples of objects, like, hey, I'm looking at gold. gold, and it shows us objects made of gold, you know, and then you can continue to the next one, you know, which is uh, mercury, and you can literally, you know, sort of play with it, you know, it, it's very, very interactive. I mean, when you think back about the classrooms where we studied as, as kids, right? And the table of elements on the wall being just letters and numbers. Right. This is revolutionary. This is makes you know learning much more fun. Oh right? yeah, and I like the mercury one because it shows the it's movement a... of mercury, how it moves, the f how it flows. It gives you a feel 
for what that element is. Right. It doesn't just show you, it gives you a feel of it. It's revolutionizing. I mean, there's no doubt that... In the gold nugget, you could see it in three-dimensional. Right. Because it, it rotates and all. Because it makes use of what this device can do, which is not just show you text and photographs, but also motion, mm -hmm. movement. You know, So you, you're incorporating everything at once. Eventually, the iPad in a way, is an extension of HyperCard, you know, the stacks, you know, that came up in uh, the mid-80s, you know. The concept of hypermedia, where we have text, movies, audio, you know, video, uh, whatnot. This is making all of that completely incorporated into a device that's basically designed to show that, mm -hmm. you know. And, and it does a fantastic job. I mean, it's, it's just fantastic. The next level is to take these elements and be able to rotate, like the gold nugget here, because right. I can't really rotate it, you know, it's sort of fixed, you know. You, know, you mean you rotating it on your own? I'd like to, but I yeah. can't, yeah. So that was a discussion on what the iPad could do. And now we take it for granted. But back then, that was the discovery of the apps. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what? That was new, you know. Yeah. Oh. Now it's not new anymore. Right. It's taken for granted. But back then, when we recorded that podcast... And I don't remember the year, but it must have been around 2010, something like that. I don't know exactly when the iPad came out, or 2009. Yeah, because we had the, the podcast on the recession, that was 2008, so maybe 2009 for this one. Yeah, and, it could have been. Uh, we talked about an app called uh, the Science App, where and you I've see the table loved, of elements. Yeah, yeah I've always loved yeah. the periodic table. And that's really what's interesting with the iPad as a device, is you dive into these fields like... The table of elements that you would never ever study if you didn't have the iPad. I mean, I'm not going to open a book and study the table of elements. It's boring. But when you have an interactive, when you have an interactive yeah. device like the iPad and it's full color and it's right. a glossy screen and it moves and it rotates and it shines, you're like, wow, you know, I'm discovering science all over again. Right. <laughs> this and is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and it's not boring anymore right. because otherwise to open a book with the table of elements, you have to be a scientist or you have to be involved in chemistry in one way or another. Otherwise, a layman isn't going to do it. So that, that's what's really fascinating with apps is this discovery of topics that you would never look at otherwise. After that, we have a podcast on studying fine art photography and then one on Route 66 and then New Year resolutions. And so we're covering all sort of things. You oh, know, yes. Year-end achievements where we covered oh, yeah. what we did during the year. Right. So not just resolutions for the new year, but a sort of tally of what we achieved during the past year. Yes. And... Uh, we talked about the importance of measuring what you achieved and celebrating your achievements. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, which is important. You know, once you sit down and you start thinking about what you've done for one whole year, you'll be surprised at what you have achieved. I just don't think people nowadays really take the time to sit down and look at what they've done over the year and how much they've achieved. General Patton said that it's very important to showcase your achievements because it's so easy to forget and sometimes he says in his book that I was reading that you get down on yourself and those achievements that you can see all the time they're to remind you of what you have accomplished and what you have done you know when you feel a little low because we forget sometimes the years go by so fast and we forget everything that we have done. 
You're right. I mean, we have to celebrate our achievements. We can't just keep cranking out work and never pass. Right. You know? And celebrating is not just a matter of going to a restaurant or having champagne and popping the cork and saying, hoo-hoo, you know, we did it, right? <laughs> right. It's, it's more than that. Yeah. It's taking time off. It's pampering yourself in a way. Giving importance to yourself. Right. right. Because when you work, you don't give importance to yourself. You give importance to your work. You do. And I think that one of the problems of photographers is that they tend to work all the time. Yes. Because they don't make enough money to actually pause and take time off necessarily. It's important to do things that you enjoy that are not related to photography. Right. I mean, if you look at the life of a photographer, it doesn't matter who it is. And you ask yourself, are they successful? One way to tell is by asking yourself and obviously looking for evidence in their life about whether or not they have significant activities that are non-photographic. Significant activities. I mean, not just going out to the restaurant, which we all do, right? Right. And not just not working for the afternoon or going for a stroll or a bike ride, but significant activities. Do we have hobbies? Right. You know, that take a large part of their time. Other interests. Other interests. They have nothing to do with photography. Right. Exactly. Do they not carry their camera everywhere they go? <laughs> oh, yeah. That is definitely a very important thing. A lot of people, when they see me and I'm not working, they're like, oh, you don't have a camera? I say, no, I don't have a camera. I don't even take the iPad anymore. Right. Because there's only so many times you want to photograph each other, right? I would say. <laughs> right. <laughs> you go to the restaurant, I'm not going to photograph. I'm not doing a documentary on the food I eat at the restaurant. Right. <laughs> or know? the Ferrari club. Yeah. Those are very important things. And we're not just talking about after work, we're talking about entire days and, and whatnot. Right. right. And I think having a place where you display all of your achievements, it can be a book, it can be certificates, it can be all sorts of things. Well, we call it a bragging cabinet. And I think it's a good concept because one, uh, every bragging rights that you have go in one place as opposed to being thrown the house. It's sort of self-content, you know. Right. And, but uh, I've never really liked that term, bragging, right, because... Right. Um, it's, it's sort of negative, you know. Yeah. It, to me, yeah. it is. Yeah. And that's not what it's all about, right. displaying your achievements. For me, it's not bragging. It's celebrating accomplishments yeah. Yeah. or achievements. Well... If somebody says, what have you done in your career? You know, you can go on and say, this is the list. Or you can just look at people and say, here, right? Right. It seems to be much more efficient. I agree. I mean, I have my teaching certificates and teaching awards right. that I got for teaching mm. for five years or seven oh. years. or mm. And um, those Which are makes me think I probably should put the university diplomas on a hard Oh, absolutely. They should be in there. I mean, you go into any doctor's office and their certificates are framed and hanging on the wall. Yeah, yeah. That's to make the patient (laughs) feel like it's not going to hurt as much. Yeah. Or (laughs) that they, whoo, they know what they're doing. (laughs) I I do this for a living, you know. Yeah. I am a professional. I was trained. (laughs) But I think that for doctors, there's also a requirement in the sense that they have to have these diplomas in order to practice medicine. Yes. But I mean, just right Writing articles in a magazine and putting the magazine. But you have to have some measure. I think that's what's important. And the problem, I think, with a lot of photographers, and the reason why they seek awards, is because they don't have really a measure. And the minute they can say, well, I won't be so old, or, you know, what we read everywhere, I have my work in private and public collections, I have my work in several corporations, and when they name them, I mean, you know, it's a little shallow, right? And I think that there comes to that point, which is, what did you really do? 
Right. I think that's a very difficult thing for a lot of photographers to really assess. And so that's where the drive to enter contests and try to win awards and so on comes in, you know. Right. I mean, I've done it too in the beginning, you know, because it's the natural thing to do, I think. You know, you don't know any better. The thing that bothered me with the contest that I entered is that I was winning them a little too easily and I started thinking that something was wrong, you know. Right. Either with right. the contest or with me or with the other photographers. With, yeah. I wasn't really sure what it was because I did not think that I was that good. I just kept winning. And I also noticed that when there was a very big prize, like, you know, a very nice prize one time was a camera bag. That time I did not win. But the favorite photographer of the, it was a group of photography won. And I thought, well, this guy probably needed a camera bag, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I did not really need a camera bag. Right. I, I was like, oh, good. I, well, at least I did. I got number two or three, you know. And, um, I looked at it as a joke, you know, but I, I thought, well, these contests are interesting because it seems like the winner tends to be decided in function of the prizes that are to be won, right? Because again, you know, I mean, how do you define who's better and who's not as good, right? Right. You know, it's, it's totally up for grab. You know, it's like in boxing. If you don't knock out the other guy, you're in the hands of the judges. Right. I mean, we saw it with uh, the last fight that we saw, you know. With Pacquiao and... Uh Horn? Is and that what Horn, you're talking about? Yeah, Pacquiao about? and Horn, where Horn did not knock out Pacquiao. Pacquiao did not knock out Horn. I mean, Pacquiao had a good chance in the ninth round to finish him up, but he didn't do the job. And Horn was told by the referee, show me something or I stop the fight. And on round number 10, 10 11, and 12, and those are called the championship rounds. Number 11 and 12 are called the championship rounds because in many times when there is no knockout, the fight is won or lost on those two rounds. Right. And that's where the championship is won. And so they are called the championship rounds. Well, in the 10th, the 11th, and the 12th, he really dominated Pacquiao. And I think that's where he won the fight. But there was no knockouts, and a lot of people thought that the judges had made the wrong decision. Well, but that's like art, <laughs> you know. If you don't like the fact that if you don't knock out the guy, the outcome of the fight might be up for grabs, don't do boxing. You know? <laughs> right. uh, it's what I tell people. I say, you know, if you don't like the fact that you did not win the award because right. the judges liked your competition's work better than your work, even though your work was technically as good or better, don't do art. Right. Or better, don't enter art competitions. Because there's something to be said about the difference between boxing and art. In boxing, if you don't enter a competition, you'll never be the champ. But in art, if you don't enter a competition, you still can be the champ. Right. You just have to have a show and impress people with your work. Right. So there's not really a requirement in art to enter competitions. Anyway, all of that to, to expand on the concept of celebrating your achievements, which is important, you know, and not done enough, I think. Uh, we also did a podcast on my book, Marketing Fine Art Photography. We did not do one on my first three books, uh, on my first two books, sorry, because I think we did not have the podcast yet, or we did not think of doing it, but we did one on Marketing Fine Art Photography. Well, the first book came out in 2006. So that was before so, the podcast. Yeah. yeah. And then the second one, I don't was think we 2008? did Was it 2008? No, the, the podcast started in 2006, but it may have started later in the year after the book was published. And then the second one, we did not do a podcast, but we did one for the book Marketing Fine Art Photography. Well, and you did one for, for the Printing Mastery DVD, and that came out in 2006, in September. I, right, six. and I did them regularly for the new Mastery DVDs. Right. But I did not do them for the books until the Marketing Fine Art Photography. And I don't know if I did one for the fourth book, which was How Photographs Are Sold. I don't right. remember. And then after that, 
we did one on the home gallery. Oh, that was fun. And that was a very important one because that's after we moved. You know, this is 2008. Oh, yeah. And one of the reasons why we moved where we live now is because there was one room in the house that we could use as a home gallery. It actually sold us this house. That right, was yeah. one of the things. That in a four-car garage and your yeah. office had a door leading into the backyard. I mean, it was just right. everything was just I perfect. I could escape. <laughs> yes. Because the you other house You could run nowhere. out the right. back door of your I office. I no way out of my office except <laughs> through the whole house. Yeah. Very you should play one. an excerpt. Yeah. Let's listen to an excerpt of the Home Gallery podcast. Right. Which is number 55. So a lot of people are interested in something smaller. And also, people want to go through the experience of browsing. Yes. And, and that's a very important thing. That's because where the bins came into play. That's when we started thinking, how can they browse? And we started thinking, well, they have to have bins with prints. Well, at art shows, that's what I do. I put them out. Right. So we started using the same bins that we used at art shows. And these are aluminum with black cloth. And soon enough, we realized that it did not fit into a home environment. I mean, no. we have wood furniture. We have wooden floors. We have, you know... A beautiful home and these bins did not fit in so about wooden bins you know that are more furniture grade and we started with one and then soon enough we had two and three and four right right and and that added a lot because now we had more product so we had more things for the customers and the visitors to look at and then we bought uh, folding easels right that was the second thing so yeah we bought those. and we bought a bunch of them because we, we bought I think 20 of them and so. these are all wooden easels. These are not the cheap variety. These are, made, I think it's Mabef. They are made in Italy. They are furniture grade. And uh, we use them in the gallery. And then we also use them around the house when we have a show, right? So yeah. we have about 20 of them. And each of them can have a light on it. So we can clip we the light it. on it and use it to light up the artwork. Right. Uh, lighting is very, very important. Um, so we, we did all of that. So that was talking about the home gallery and specifically about how we furnished it and how we selected display pieces that would fit in. Right. right. And also the mistakes that we made in the beginning of setting up a home gallery right. and the difficulties of it yeah. because you, we didn't really understand that what you're doing is setting up quote unquote shop. You're setting up a store. You know? Well, we did not understand that at all. We, right, and it took a while. And the mistakes that we made, I don't know if we talked about it in the podcast, I don't remember everything, but the very first idea that I had for that room was to put artwork all around on the walls, like in a gallery, and then put a bench in the middle. And we did. And we bought the yeah. biggest, most expensive bench we could beautiful. find. Beautiful, the most beautiful bench. I mean, <laughs> it was done by a company called Puleski, and we still have it, but it went into the bedroom and won't say why in a few minutes. Very ornate, with beautiful cloth, with decorated uh, cloth. And we put this bench in the middle and artwork all around, and we started having people. And they would go in, they would walk around in a few minutes, maybe five minutes, come out and leave. Yeah, never sat on the bench Never or sat anything. on the bench. I thought they would sit on the bench and admire the artwork, but that was not exactly no. what, not at all what they did. They would go around the room. Quickly. Basically make a, a U-turn and then leave. Right. And that was it. And we saw nothing. And so we started thinking, what's going on here? And what I realized is that when people go in a gallery, they go and they admire the artwork, but they don't buy anything. In know. a museum. I think we were right. thinking of a they, museum. They, yeah. they approached it as a museum. You know? Right. And, and of course, we knew from experience, because we sold at the Grand Canyon for five years, and we talked to millions of visitors and made enormous number of sales. 
We knew that one of the basic principles of marketing is that the longer somebody stays in your store, the more likely they are to buy. And if they buy, the more likely they are to buy more. Right. right. And that was the clincher because we were like, oh, well, they don't even think it's a store. Right. There was price tags, but, you know, unless you come very close, you don't see them. And we were like, no, they think it's just a display. Yes. And so we changed everything. We got rid of the bench. We put it into the bedroom where it belongs. It's very practical in the bedroom. Right. You know, I had never realized the importance of a bench in a bedroom. It's nice to sit on it when you dress and so on. We bought furniture just for the gallery. From Ethan Allen. From very Ethan nice Allen. furniture. Very nice furniture. Comfortable chairs to sit in. Very comfortable chairs to sit in. Not benches. A table. New displays. You know, bins that were wood bins. Bookshelves. Wooden easels. Bookshelves. And we started putting my books. We started putting a lot of prints. We started putting framed and unframed pieces. Different sizes. Folios. Portfolios. I created a price list for the gallery. Right. We put in bags and packing materials in the furniture. So we had it ready there. We had a, a credit books. card. Yeah, exactly. We had a credit card processing machine in the gallery. This is way back when we still use the ironing board. Now we use PayPal with uh, the Wi-Fi. And all of a sudden we started making sales because people were now looking at it as a store and we were staying. Yes, but not only that, we went from people being in there for just a few minutes two hours exactly like one hour one and a half two hours i they would sit in the chairs and i started uh showing work sometimes even showing the navajo land portfolio some of them would pick up the books and start reading them yes i mean we Um, were getting them involved right because there was a lot of things to do in the gallery as opposed to just look at the artwork and you know move on right and that really was a discovery for us. And again, you know, it's really interesting because people are like, I'm going to set up a home gallery. Well, yeah, that's great. That's a good idea. But I mean, how are you going to do it? Because see, it's not just having a room and putting art in it. Right. There's and a, a lot of people, you know, I hear a lot of people say, well, I'm going to use our guest bedroom yeah. as a gallery. Well, it doesn't really work if you have a bed in there because, you know, that's not really a gallery, a home gallery. You want people to feel that it's a place where they are expected to buy. Exactly. I mean, the thing with a home gallery is that first, it is not the guest bedroom. The guest bedroom is on the other side of the hallway. Second, it has windows on three sides. Yes, it does. So it's very luminous. Third, it's not a room that could be used as a bedroom. There's no no doubt. People that don't use it as a home gallery because there's several homes of the same specs as ours in our community, they use it as a... Formal living room. Well, or a game room. Either or. You know, some of them use it as a formal living room, but those that don't put curtains on the windows, they use it as a game room. They have a pillow table in there, for example, or a sort of recreation room. So it's definitely a bonus room that's not used for any particular purpose. Mm -hmm. It's non-specific. So you don't have a bathroom attached to it. You don't have, uh, you know, closets. It doesn't make you feel like you're in somebody's bedroom, you know. It doesn't make you feel like in somebody's house either. Right. And the other thing is that it's right by the entrance door, the front door. Right. That's very important because we decided that we did not want people, complete strangers, right, going through the whole house to get to the gallery. 
well, here we can just come in, get into the gallery, and that's it. You know, that's the only part of the house they see. Right. And so during that podcast, we talked about all of these aspects of setting up a home gallery and sort of sharing our experience uh, right. doing this. You know. Yeah, because there was nobody yeah. that we could model after. We had to figure it all out on our, our own. Our model was a gallery, and it wasn't a very good one. No, or a museum, it. and it failed yeah. completely. The breakthrough was to realize that what we needed was a store, right. you know, and that's what we have now. Although, you know, it is a unique store in the sense that it doesn't look like a kind of store that you would expect, but it functions as a store. It and does. customers get the impression that it's a store. So after that, we had a workshop question and answer session, another interview with Peter Urban, which uh, was actually done over the web this time and we did uh, a video using the video on the computer sharing over the web and it, we did it over the next book which was you know marketing fine art photography so this was the second podcast on my book on marketing and then after that we went back to art and talked about why personal style is important and passion in photography and i'm thinking that we should probably do a third episode and this time start at number 59 because we've already done here over 40 minutes. We have? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because the recording, whenever you reach 30 minutes, it starts a new file. Okay. And so we've done about 40 minutes now and we are not going to be able to go through all of the final podcast episodes anytime shortly, you know. Right. And so we should really stop and do a third part and maybe even a fourth part i mean obviously these podcasts are very time consuming because we go over so much material i mean right. this is something that took us 10 11 years to create and we're trying to go over it in an hour and it's just not gonna happen right and, and the so, topics are so varied as well and we find things to say as we go you know yeah and so instead of trying to rush through it let's just stop here at number 58 59 and uh, start again on a part three sounds good and so we're going to stop for now we had episode number 58 and we'll start again on part three and until then we hope that you're finding this podcast interesting entertaining educational and that you'll join us again for the next episode